This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, December 6th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to gather around the virtual water cooler to talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I am an editor at SlashFilm.com and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. All right, Brad, let's get into it. What have you been doing recently? Oh, I just got back from a trip to Utah to surprise my fiance for her birthday, uh, which was fun. I went with my friend uh, Ben, who is one of the co-hosts of uh, my podcast, Go Flix Yourself, and our Saturday Night Live podcast, the 10 to 1 podcast. Please check those out. Um, and so we went over there to surprise her for her birthday. Uh, ben had not yet tried uh her family restaurant Pogo's. Uh, so we uh, got that. And then we also um, took some time to play some pinball, which I'll talk about a little later in this episode. But uh, yeah, it was nice just to get back over there. And uh, yeah, just to use how and surprise my, my fiance for her birthday. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so when is, uh, I think you mentioned on the podcast before, like, when is the uh, plan for the actual wedding to happen? Do you we know? don't. We don't have a date yet. I. Uh, it would be nice if it happened next year, but because of uh, how much she's been helping with with her family's restaurant and stuff like that, that like has kind of complicated uh, things. We haven't really figured that out yet. So uh, hopefully, sometime soon, we'll have a better answer for that. Excellent. Okay, uh, we haven't really been reading anything. Let's get into what we've been watching. I had a chance to see Renaissance, a film by Beyonce. Um, are you interested in seeing this at all, Brad? So I'm curious about it. I am. Uh, I, I saw the Taylor Swift documentary, and I, I'm not as big of a fan of Beyonce's music as I am of Taylor Swift's music. Um, but I, I'm, I'm a little more interested in this maybe as a, as a movie because, as I understand, this one actually has a documentary element to it, and it's not just the concert. It actually shows how like her tour came together and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I'm kind of in the same boat in that like I haven't really sought out Beyonce's music, so I would not consider myself. You know, part of the beehive or whatever. Um, I admire her as a cultural figure, and I would I went into this like curious about what I would learn about her and her process in the behind the scenes aspect. And what I learned was basically just confirmation that she is far more than just a musician. She is one of the world's greatest performers, but she's also a genuine genius of design. She is like an innovator, and she's a businesswoman. And this documentary does a really good job of showing glimpses at all of those different versions of her. And my favorite thing about it is there's a section where she talks about how exhausting it is being a black woman in charge of putting on this massive show where even though she is freaking Beyonce, like she has to kind of fight tooth and nail to get 
everything that she wants. Like that there's a part where uh, she's talking to a, one of the cinematographers or something, and she asks for a wider lens and he says, yeah, I don't know about that. Like, I'm, I don't, I don't know, you know, if we can, I don't, I don't think one exists or something. And she's like, there's no wider lens like on earth basically. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, well, yeah, I guess I could look at a different thing, you know, or whatever. And she's like, okay, then go do that basically. And like, you know, in a nice way, but like she has to kind of like really fight for the vision that she has for this massive show. And there's like a part where she's uh, there's a guy, one of the technicians is telling her like, yeah, I don't think we can, um, we don't have the camera track that matches the radius that we need or something like that. And she's like, I was actually looking up tracks and one of these does exist. So we need to get that and like make sure that we can do this kind of thing. So like she, you know, which is like awesome and it, it feels um, cathartic to watch her do that. But also I totally understand what she's talking about of just like, God, that must be so exhausting to, to not only have to, um, you know, be the the face of this whole thing, but also have to like worry about the minutia because people are, um, are just trying to like make their own jobs easier instead of going above and beyond to achieve this like uh, pinnacle of what she's trying to do with the vision of the whole show. So anyway, I was very struck by that. This whole show, the, the movie is like an overwhelming experience. It's visually dazzling and like the stage work is unbelievable at, at a few points in the show brad there are robotic arms that come out that look like jarvis from the iron man movie. <laughs> nice. like, really wild to see um and the costume design is unbelievable like this may be the most uh the most costumes i've ever seen in in any sort of um visual medium before like in, in a single uh you know concise thing or whatever it's just like because the taylor swift show I think it was like three nights in Los Angeles over the, that was recorded over the course of three nights. And this is like over the course of 50 nights or something, you know, dozens of nights. And so there's cross cutting constantly, even sometimes within the same song to, you know, her moving in different ways or whatever. And it just kind of like, it's like a, uh, an invisible cut and all, all of a sudden she's wearing a different costume. And it's, it's really kind of like amazing mind boggling, uh, feat of editing. I, I've never seen anything like this before. I I counted in the credits. There are 18 editors listed on this thing. Wow. And it it makes sense when you watch the movie because there's so much footage here, like behind the scenes stuff and crowd shots and all the concert stuff. Like it, it must have just been a, a truly ridiculous amount of raw footage that they had to sift through. So anyway, like if if no other reason, I would say watch it for for those uh for those reasons. But um Honestly, like, I, I feel bad saying this, but I kind of feel like the whole thing feels more ideal for streaming than a theater because it's long. It's like two hours and 50 minutes. Yeah. And it just feels like it would be so much easier at home where you can sort of bounce around to songs or sections that you love and replay things and stuff like that. And for somebody who, like me, um, you know, doesn't really know a ton of Beyonce's music word for word or anything, I, I know a handful of songs that I've heard on the radio, that kind of deal. Um, it just kind of feel it starts to feel... Um, like yeah overwhelming at a certain point so uh anyway it's it's an incredibly impressive piece of art and um and yeah much more it feels much more like a movie than the taylor swift thing does um and that was impressive in its own right i'm not not trying to take anything away from it's just like two different approaches but uh yeah so that's renaissance a, a film by beyonce which is in theaters right now 
Um, I also saw Godzilla minus one. Have you seen this yet? No, not yet. I'm hoping to this week. Oh man, it's so good. Uh, I Shin Godzilla is a movie that came out in 2016 that like a lot of people have said is terrific. I have not seen that movie yet. I, I honestly don't really have much of a relationship with the Godzilla movies beyond the original film, which I've seen, and then the the legendary MonsterVerse stuff. Um, so I have not. I mean, there's so many Godzilla movies and. Mothra and like all the spinoffs and all that kind of stuff. And I've just have, that's like a whole corner of cinematic history that I've just have not tapped into really. Um, but Godzilla minus one, I feel like you don't even really need to have seen any of that stuff except maybe the original. And even that it, it doesn't seem like a prerequisite. Um, it's just so good, Brad. It's like the, the character work, the human characters. Uh, I know that's like sort of the, the popular refrain when people are talking about this movie, but it really is like, super impressive when you compare it to the really wooden and like terribly written human characters in the legendary monster verse stuff. This actually feels more like a human movie than a monster movie, but the monster stuff in this is awesome. Like Godzilla nice. is just like so killer. And like the, there's an opening scene in this and I'm going to try to fight for, for our best movie moments of the year where like, I, I don't want to spoil anything for people who haven't seen it yet, but it's just, it makes Godzilla feel terrifying like so freaking scary and in a world where you know we have giant monsters constantly stomping around our screens you kind of get um i don't know inured to that after a while but this yeah. movie like re restores the terror of what that must feel like and sort of puts you on the ground level so anyway i, I was very very impressed by godzilla minus one um so yeah highly recommend checking that out I uh, also watched Past Lives, which I'm pretty sure is my favorite movie this year. Um, have you seen this one yet? I have. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, my God. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, I, I, I can't even talk about this movie in an intelligent way because it's it feels so personal. Um, you know, I you're, you're dealing with, with this right now, a long distance relationship. My wife and I were dating long distance for years before we actually got together, like for real, before we, we moved in together. Um, and so you know, movies like this and uh, like crazy from 10 plus years ago or whatever, they yeah. just kind of like hit different for, for people who are actually who are going through that or who have gone through that. So like all of the little things of just like communicating with somebody over Skype, you know, especially in that time period, um, you know, with the, <laughs> with all of the uh, period appropriate um, representations of like what Facebook looked like and what the, the Skype sound effects were and yeah. uh, just like crappy internet connections going out and freezing and all that kind of stuff. It just feels like very of that moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just really, really powerful stuff. And Greta Lee is like unbelievable in this movie like i i she is so so good in this dramatic role and it, it's almost impossible to um in my mind to like um square the fact that she's the the woman from season one of russian doll who's like sweet birthday baby like yeah this does not feel like the same person and so that's a, obviously a testament to her as an actor and her her range but like my god so good and like the writing in this is incredible the just the the, um, it feels like a mixture of uh, Richard Link, uh, Richard Linklater, and Wong Kar Wong Kar Wai, and like um, you know the the laundry and taxes line from Everything Everywhere All at Once. You know, it's, and the the ending of this movie, uh, it's got one of the best endings of the year. It's just like so so perfect. So um, I really fell head over heels for Past Lives, which you can rent right now. Uh, that's a movie from A twenty four, and like talk about 
an incredible directorial debut from Celine Song. Like, holy crap, I can't wait to see what she does next because this is just, uh, yeah, like one of the strongest debuts I've seen in a long, long time. Um, okay, so the last thing that I wanted to talk about real quick is a movie called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Did you ever see this? This is an uh, animated short film. I have not. So this won the best animated short at the Oscars earlier this year. It's on Apple TV Plus right now. And my mom uh, has the the book of it. I guess it was a, a book first and then it was uh, adapted into this animated thing. And I thought it was really beautiful to look at. It has this lovely animation style that feels like a painting come to life. But uh, unfortunately, I was not a big fan of the story. All of the dialogue basically um, involves these characters. So the, the basic story is like there's this, uh, this young boy who is out in the wilderness by himself and he stumbles across a mole and a talking mole and they sort of strike up a, a little bit of a friendship. And then there's a fox who is like sort of encircling them and seems to be providing some sort of sense of danger. And then they all eventually become friends. And then there's a horse that gets added to their sort of motley crew. And uh, the boy is just like on the, in, in search of a home the whole time. And, um, and eventually learns that like home is where you make it. And like family is, uh, you know, it's, it's like found family kind of stuff. Like it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, blood relatives kind of thing. And that is kind of like that dis- dismissive tone that I just took there at the very end is kind of how I feel about the movie because the, the film, like all the dialogue basically involves these characters telling each other lessons about kindness and family. And while that stuff is obviously nice for young audiences to hear, it's delivered in this way where like everything feels like aphorisms or platitudes. And when every line basically is constructed that way, all the ideas begin to kind of lose their power because they end up falling into this kind of mush of banality, you know, like characters don't have to learn moral lessons in every single scene. And if the intent here is for kids to look to these characters as like, examples and and take those same lessons away from this movie there are so many lessons here that by the end of the movie they're going to forget what the lessons were in the first couple of scenes because it's just like constantly like lesson lesson moral moral whatever and uh so like i I appreciate the intention intentionality behind this but like i don't know i I thought it it uh was really lacking in execution but it's a beautiful movie so like I think it would be great to have on in the background on mute during a holiday party or something like that. So anyway, it's called the boy, the mole, the fox and the horse. uh, And that came out in 2022. Um, Let's take a break and then get into what you've been watching, Brad. Okay. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. All right, let's get into it. You had a chance to see uh, Napoleon, Ridley Scott's new movie. What do you think about that? Yeah, you know, um, I actually enjoyed it for the most part. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily reinvents the wheel as far as like the kind of historical war biopic kind of approach. Um, but I, you know, I, I think I appreciated, you know, what what it brought to the table. It's uh, it's pretty to look at. the The war sequences are are shot, in, um, you know, in a way, of course, because it's Ridley Scott. They look fantastic. Uh, definitely echoes of, of Gladiator there. Um, and uh, I like the performances too. Both uh, Joaquin Phoenix uh, and Vanessa Kirby are are fantastic. But um, I will say one of the things that I, I is weird, and this this tends to frustrate me, but I I, I don't know why. 
I was maybe a little more frustrated by it this time is whenever there's um, a movie that takes place like in, in Europe and like the, the characters uh, should be speaking a different language. Um, it's kind of frustrating when they they all just have vaguely British accents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, this was even more kind of weird because Joaquin Phoenix isn't even putting on a British accent. He's just talking like himself, basically. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was kind of kind of weird because, like, I, I I feel like it almost would have had a little more weight to it if he would have like done the same kind of accent that he did uh, as Commodus in Gladiator. You know, like just just something that's slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just felt weird because Napoleon is obviously very French. Uh, you know, as everyone should be. And so to have that kind of character portrayed in this way just kind of felt, you know, a, a little lazy, I guess. Yeah. Um, but 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 even so, it, it didn't keep me from, you know, basically just just uh, appreciating the movie. And I, I, I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I find myself in the same boat. I had a chance to see this a few days ago as well. And like, I I think I've, I'd seen so many negative takes out there that I was kind of I'd set my expectations very low for this. And I thought it. it met my expectations at that point so maybe that was the smart way of going into it was with lowered expectations but um yeah i I kind of like had a a good time watching it i think i think there's a lot of like really funny lines in this um that may be designed to be memed or whatever and have already been memed but i still think they work really really well in context of the movie um i didn't really get a great sense of like why exactly Napoleon was doing what he was doing. I I feel like I didn't come away from the movie knowing as much about him and his uh, motivations as I would have liked. Um, But my God, those battle sequences are just like, nobody does it like Ridley Scott in terms of, you know, the, the, the um, physicality of it, like the tactile nature of it. You can tell that he's like, of course, using CG uh, extensions and stuff, but like there's so much that you can physically see on screen and you sense the weight of what he's really doing. And it's just like really, really impressive on on this sort of grand scale. So yeah, those um, uh, in, in particular, I, I love the shots of uh, the, the sequence when uh, they're, they're fighting on the, the frozen lake. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the cannon start shooting into the lake, and the the underwater shots of the cannonball shooting and like blood flowing flowing out and like becoming cloudy wisps in in the water. It just it looks incredible. Yeah, so cool. Um, yeah, I, I I wonder like, are you interested in watching that um four hour cut that he's talked about that might come to Apple, Apple TV Plus at some yeah, point? Yeah, because it does seem like there's like there's stuff in there that they cut because it it really jumps around a lot in time without really being very clear about how much time has passed unless you're keeping track of the dates like mm-hmm. like there's times when like an entire decade passes and uh it's not really shown in like makeup or anything like that either so so i i would really like to kind of get more context as far as just like the the, the stretch of time and like things that happen in between you know, I, I feel like there's more story to tell here and i i hope that it's kind of like a kingdom of heaven situation where the director's cut offers something uh more substantial yeah i I wonder if it's just going to be kind of more of the same like you know napoleon goes to a place conquers it has a pithy conversation with a leader or something and then goes to another place and conquers it you know like that's kind of the the um the rhythm of this movie and i hope that there's more stuff in there that was cut out for whatever time ridley scott's interests whatever the case may be that might actually like proved to be a little bit more illuminating about the character and the motivations and stuff like that. But who, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, what else have you been watching, Brett? Uh, I, I decided to give Next Goal Wins a shot, even though uh, when I was on here, you said that you, you didn't really enjoy it very much, and the reviews haven't been very friendly. But I I was curious enough about a sports movie from Taika Waititi like this to, to check it out. And, uh, man, you and everybody else like are, are right on the money. Like There's there's just something about this movie that, that doesn't land. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just like the script doesn't feel sharp enough for what it's supposed to be. A part of me thinks that it's... Um, Michael Fassbender, as good of an actor as he is, and he's not even bad in this role, it just feels like he's not the right person to play this character in this kind of movie because stuff that like maybe should be played up a little bit more for laughs, he, he plays genuinely, and that's that's a good way to like do comedy sometimes. But for whatever reason, Michael Fassbender almost seems like he's being too authentic for the comedy to actually work. Mm. Um, but but aside from that, like the just the, the jokes themselves, it just doesn't feel as sharp as Taika's comedy usually is. Um, and I feel like the movie never really earns the heart that it, it should. Like you don't ever really feel the camaraderie between most of the team, and so you don't you don't ever get that vibe of like really falling in love uh, with the characters. So you care about you know them triumphing and 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 wanting them not to lose and, and uh, that kind of thing so like mm-hmm. the cast the cast is, is is great i just wish that the script was better and that it, it found its footing because it, it really it felt like a movie that like should have come out in the 90s but uh like i think you even said this but like not in a good way yeah yeah and like you know there the cast is good like the and and there are some recognizable faces even like outside of the the team and stuff like that like elizabeth moss is in this for a second and she's fine but like will arnett and reese darby are in this and they're like obviously comedic uh i don't know if powerhouses is too strong but you know like comedic forces and you know recognizable uh faces in the comedy world for sure and like they like all of their lines kind of fell flat. Like the, none yeah. of the stuff that they said were funny. And I was like, how do you screw up getting those guys in there as supporting characters? You know? Yeah. Will Arnett felt so shoehorned into it. Like I was like, why is he here? Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sad that you didn't like it. I was kind of hoping that like you would come away from it going like, Oh, you, you just missed it, Ben. There's, there's more to this than, you know, than meets the eye or whatever. Uh, but it sounds like Nesco wins was kind of a, a whiff for both of us. So um, that's in, in, that one is uh, is still in theaters. If people want to check it out. Um, what else have you been watching, Brad? Uh, I also saw John Woo's Silent Night, uh, the new holiday themed action thriller that is in theaters now, uh, starring Joel Kinnaman as a, a father who loses his son uh, to a stray bullet from a uh, like a gang war shooting uh, in in his neighborhood. Uh, and so he, he falls into just a terrible depression and, and can't get over it. And so he decides, uh, basically to, to get his, uh, revenge on the gang responsible for it, uh, and take them all out. And so, uh, it's John Woo. So obviously the action is, uh, is stellar here. Uh, Joel Kinnaman is very good. And there's the, the, the gimmick, if you want to call it that, is that, uh, after the the inciting incident, Joel Kinnaman, uh, you know, he he chases after like the gang responsible, hoping to do something about it, but he ends up getting shot, and he gets shot in the throat, so he can't uh, speak anymore. So his character uh, is silent, and the the movie is uh, nearly dialogue free, um, kind of similar to to No One Will Save You, and so the the focus really is on the visuals and the action, um, and it's uh, it's de- it's definitely very entertaining. I don't think it's among John Woo's best work, and I feel like. We're at a point now with action movies uh, where we're in a post-John Wick world. And uh, as legendary as John Woo is, the John Wick movies are also stellar. And they kind of took that the kind of that kind of 
uh, armed action thriller genre to to a new level as far as just like the choreography and how intricate the sequences are and everything. And while there is great stuff here that John Woo does uh, and some of his signature visuals, it just feels like it's now it's harder to like match that energy and the 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 power of that action and just mm-hmm. re- reach those heights because I, I found myself watching this so I was like some of this is cool but like man John Wick did so so many you know other other cool things so not every movie has to be John Wick I, I, and I understand that uh, but because of the kind of movie this is which is very John Wick Wick esque you could even call it John Saint Nick if you want to um, <laughs> but I don't like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but so I, I still very much 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 enjoyed it. But I uh, yeah I, I did fi- I did think that maybe it wasn't wasn't quite as good as as it could have been. But uh, I still still liked it. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, okay, and then you also have been as you normally do, and as you do on your other podcasts, have been catching up with Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you know, and I wanted to specifically uh, call this one out because the the episode from this past weekend, hosted by Emma Stone, uh, was fantastic, and I I would like it if people. Uh, sought out SNL and saw when like it's it's at its best because uh, one of the problems that Saturday Night Live has uh, and they've had this problem for a few years now is they typically like to open the show with a politically uh, headline motivated uh, satire cold open uh, and some of that comes from the success they they had with like the debate sketches when they had uh, Will Ferrell and Daryl Hammond as George W. Bush and Al Gore and then you had Sarah Palin as uh, or to be fair, Sarah Palin and Amy Poehler as Hillary Clinton and whatnot. Um, and so they, they keep doing political cold opens and they just haven't been very good. You know, they, they really fell off during the time of Donald Trump. There was some good stuff with Alec Baldwin as Trump and James Austin Johnson is, has a great Donald Trump impression, but the content and the comedy is never really feels like it lands very well because you're lampooning something that is already so ridiculous that it's hard to really find the comedy in something that is both so ludicrous and also just terrible yeah um and that's and now they have a new problem because with joe biden he's not this farcical clown and so the only jokes they really have to go over biden with are you're old and it's like cool (laughs) (laughs) so so every every now and then they have something good and this past weekend they did have a good one because bowen yang has been playing George Santos and he got ousted from Congress. And so they did, they had a funny bit there. And so it actually started the show on a much stronger note than what we normally get. But then you also have Emma Stone hosting. She joined the five timers club this time because it's her fifth time hosting. And this entire episode was very good. Even, even the sketch that I would have called the, the worst sketch was not one of like the, a, a bad sketch by any means. Like in any other episode, it would have been a, a totally average sketch, but Emma Stone is just such a gifted performer. She can do, anything and comedically she feels so at home with the saturday night live cast she's not afraid to play goofy characters like her facial expressions like she's just all over the place when she when she needs to be her physical comedy is fantastic even when she's playing the straight woman uh in a sketch on the, on this episode uh she she's funny and so uh, i i would implore you to watch this episode of saturday night live and Understand that, like, whenever you hear somebody say Saturday Night Live isn't funny anymore, uh, they're wrong because Saturday Night Live is and always has been funny. It's just that sketches are always going to be hit or miss. And that's kind of like the beauty of the show is it's a show that comes together in a week. There are going to be bad sketches. They're going to be great sketches. They're going to be average sketches. And the only reason anybody thinks that their you know, favorite cast of Saturday Night Live was the best and it's not as good as it was is because you only ever see the best sketches from those years. You never see any of the bad sketches. So give Saturday Night Live a shot. Watch the Emma Stone episode and I think you might be surprised. Was she on to promote poor things? 
Yeah, I typically, typically when uh, people are brought on to host, it's because it's close to like the time that their new movie is coming out. I'm not even sure if she mentioned Poor Things uh, oh, during, interesting. during the episode, though. She, she might have, but it, it might have been just a, a quick thing. Um, so yeah, and th- th- actually, th- this the uh, the year is closing out actually on what should be a high note because this coming weekend Adam Driver is hosting and he is a stellar Saturday Night Live host, and then Kate McKinnon is coming back to Saturday Night Live to close out the year for the Christmas episode. So nice. Okay, cool. Well, at least uh, yeah, you'll get <laughs> a couple gifts from SNL, Brad. Um, okay, let's get into what you've been eating. What uh, as usual, I have not been eating anything interesting, but it sounds like you have. Tell me about that. Yeah. Uh, so it's the holiday season, and so there's there's some uh, holiday themed treats out there and because it's elf's 20th anniversary there's some interesting uh elf themed treats out there i think i mentioned uh, a couple of them before on another episode a while back uh but one of the other ones that i got to try recently is uh, pepperidge farm has a new flavor of goldfish and it's maple syrup uh grams and so they're uh the, the the most famous goldfish obviously is probably like the the cheese cracker ones, but they also have some sweet goldfish flavors out there. Uh, and so this one, whenever it's a sweet flavor, it's usually some kind of gram. And this one is maple syrup because obviously Buddy the Elf loves maple syrup, and that's what you do. Um, and these are really good. the The maple syrup flavor isn't overwhelming, so it's not overly uh, sweet or even mapley. And the way it mixes with the gram is it kind of makes it taste like you're eating like pancake cookies basically mm. uh and so it's it's a it's a good flavor it's i was glad that the the maple syrup flavor wasn't super overwhelming i was expecting it to be a little sweet but um yeah it's they're 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 pretty good so uh keep an eye out for those in, in stores they're just around for the holiday season so i'm uh i'm the psycho that just eats original like plain um, Ugh, what yeah i don't know i can't i can't explain it i can't defend myself you get pop tarts without frosting too you weirdo uh, <laughs> you know sometimes i do actually ah! um <laughs> But do you have a favorite goldfish flavor, just like overall? Uh, it's it's probably just the uh the cheese flavor, but I think I prefer the like the 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 extra cheddar blasted. I think it's called the ones mm. that have have more seasoning on it. But yeah, those okay. are those are the best ones. Okay, all right. What else have you been eating? Uh, I also tried Wendy's new pretzel baconator. Uh, the baconator, in my opinion, is probably one of the best fast food burgers out there. Uh, just because I think Wendy's is probably one of the better fast food. Uh, establishments when it comes to cheeseburgers and the baconator is a standby for me i just love you know a good burger with cheese and, and bacon on it and so uh, i want to try this new one because it's, it's a pretzel bun and i like pretzel buns on burgers um you know that adds a little a little bit of uh heartiness to the bun uh so i tried this and it's it's solid you know um they've they've done sandwiches with uh pretzel buns before so i was expecting it to be good because it's you know i, I love everything else that's involved with it so yeah the pretzel baconator it's uh, it's out now for uh, a limited time at wendy's Okay, and then you also went to Taco Bell. Yeah, so Taco Bell. Uh, I enjoy Taco Bell's breakfast quite a bit. I don't. I don't know how you feel about it. Do you like Taco Bell breakfast? You know, I don't think I've ever actually had Taco Bell's breakfast. I haven't had Taco Bell in years because when I was in college, I did this thing. I think it, they called it a grande combo, where you could get. I. It was like ten tacos for you know, up like $7 or something, you know, ridiculous, maybe even less than that. Uh, like whatever college, um, you know, college kids trying to save money, maximize the efficiency of, of uh, eating, you know, the most stuff for the least amount of money. That's the kind of thing that I would do um, at certain points. And so I kind of like ate my fill of Taco Bell in college and kind of like 
can't look at it now in the same <laughs> way. So uh, I haven't been in a long, long time. But um, yeah, I've, I've never tried the breakfast. Is it good? Yeah, I love the breakfast. So, you know, they, they do breakfast crunch wraps, with ha- which have uh, egg and cheese and like a hash brown patty. And then your choice of, you know, bacon or sausage or steak. And uh, breakfast burritos are, are a favorite of mine. So yeah, there's uh, there's some good stuff over there. But the, a new thing that they have, and I think that they're only testing this in certain markets. So you might not be able to find it at your Taco Bell. But in my area, my Taco Bell has new breakfast tots, uh, which is where they take take the tater tots that they have for breakfast. They throw some of the nacho fry seasoning on them. Uh, and then there's eggs and cheese, um, and you can have uh, the meat in there as well. And so hmm. it's a pretty simple combination of, you know, egg, cheese, potatoes, and meat, which is fine. But uh, that natural fry seasoning is delicious. And so having that on the tots there adds, adds a nice extra flavor to it. Excellent. And then uh, what's the last thing you wanted to mention here? One last holiday thing. Uh, there is um, a, a trio of new chocolate bark out there, and I only tried one, and they're tied to candy bars. So there is uh, – everyone knows chocolate bark. You know, they, they take chocolate and melt it and put it in the nice basically square plates and then break it up and uh, – it's fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I like the peppermint bark. Peppermint bark like, is good. Yeah, I like peppermint yeah. bark. Um, so that, so Twix and Snickers and M&M's all now have their own milk chocolate bark for the holiday season. Uh, and it, so it's it, they're all chocolate bark, the kind of similar to peppermint bark. Uh, but rather having the peppermint flavor, it has the, the ingredients and pieces of these various candies within the bark instead of having, you know, peppermint and uh, candy cane crunch and stuff like that. So uh, I tried the Twix one because Twix is one of my favorite candy bars. Um, and these are these are solid. There's there's maybe more milk chocolate than you might want, which kind of it kind of upsets the balance that typically comes with the these candy bars. Cause like for me, the Twix has a perfect blend of chocolate and cookie and caramel. Mm-hmm. And with this, because it's milk chocolate bark, there's just a lot more chocolate. And then the Twix pieces are kind of like mixed around in there. So there's, there's like chunks of the candy bar in various parts. So it's, it's maybe a little more chocolate than, than you might want. If, you know, if you're just more happy with a, a Twix bar, then I would go that route. But at the very least, you know, it was, uh, it was a nice sweet treat, I guess. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like the um, pumpkin flavored Reese's or something where it kind of like the the different size of it throws off the ratio. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, get into what you've been playing recently. You mentioned that you went to Utah and, and hit up a few arcades for some pinball. Tell me about that. Yeah, so out in uh, Utah, they have these places called uh, Nickel Mania. And they're just these like big arcades that have tons of ticket redemption machines for like kids to play uh, retro arcade games. And a couple locations out there have a ton of pinball machines. And so uh, ever since I've been getting into pinball, I keep track of of what I play and like my good scores through this app called the Pindigo. Uh, it's, it's an app that like people can use to track their scores and like it shows ranks on people around uh, the, the, the world and you can, you have friends that you can follow so you can compare your scores with them and stuff. Uh, and so lately when I've been going to new arcades and I've seen new pinball machines, I've just been logging as many as I can. And so these two locations that me and uh, my friend Ben went to had tons of new games that we hadn't played yet. So we were just hopping around on a couple different days for a couple hours, just playing uh, different pinball machines. And it's, um, I don't know if anybody out there has ever realized this, but there are tons of pinball machines based on movies. Uh, and I've been trying to play like as many more as, as I can, because there's some that I'm totally surprised to learn. Like I found out that there was a Shrek pinball machine uh, <laughs> that is out there. There's a pinball machine based on the nineties big screen adaptation of the Flintstones. Uh, and that machine was a lot of fun. I would like to add because the, the, Pretty much everything that you do 
in the game has some kind of old school cartoon sound effect from the Flintstones. <laughs> and that so that made it a lot of fun. Um, there's several different Star Trek uh, machines uh, on like the newer side from Stern Pinball. There's a pretty great Star Wars machine. Uh, there's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mach- machine. Um, there's just so many pinball machines out there. And so I had a lot of fun playing it. Uh, and the one that like, I really uh, knocked out of the park is there's a Harley Davidson pinball machine, <laughs> which which I don't give a shit about Harley Davidson. But I was trying to play as many pinball games as I could. Uh, and I just had a great game where I hit like eight multi balls throughout the entire process and my score ended up being like the the number 38 score uh, of all time on Pindigo. So that was wow. pretty that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's awesome. Are you considering getting like a full size um uh, pinball what, what do they call it like a cabinet a pinball cabinet or a I, well, pinball it, machine or whatever yeah just yeah just pinball machines because the cabinet is usually reserved for for arcade uh cabinets, okay but, gotcha um i i would like to but at the same time a they're very expensive uh and b you, i i feel like i would you know want to play one for a while but then you know you probably would get bored with that one so you might yeah. get really good on that one but like the fun that is like hopping around and playing different machines so i yeah. feel i feel like i'll just i'll just stick with the arcade experience Gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of the show. You can find more about a lot of the things that we talked about at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilmDaily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. There's a link for that in the show notes as well. Send your feedback, co- uh, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or spotify tell your friends spread the word thanks for listening and we will talk to you all tomorrow catch those springtime vibes all over arizona break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks take a hike among the wildflowers just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.